Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 102nd ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing great today, Cameron. How are you? I'm doing really well. I uh, just got back from vacation. Producer Cameron and I were in South Carolina for a week, and unfortunately, that meant, well... There's good news and bad news. Good news is we set up an interview to play uh, during our normal podcast publishing time this past week, but I forgot to bring the memory card to South Carolina that had the interview on it so that I could edit it and publish it. So it sat here in Springfield, and now we're back in Springfield recording a quick intro to the interview so that you can listen to the interview. How was your trip? Fantastic. Wonderful. Went to the beach. Played some mini golf. Actually, we just got back from playing mini golf today. Mm-hmm. Not it's in hot. South Carolina. No. Yeah, we played mini golf here today in Springfield. It's very hot, but we have a friend here visiting us, so we uh, want to spend some quality time with him. You guys have already spent the week with him, but I didn't get to go to South Carolina, so yep. I get to uh, see you guys now. We thought about you every day. Wow. I really, I, I, likewise, <laughs> missed you. Missed you both. Missed you all. Yeah, I missed the studio. Yeah, we missed our new flag, missed our old flag. I missed the listeners. Oh, yeah. Man, but we're back. Yep, we're back. We have an awesome interview. We have a former Mizzou football player. He's a walk-on wide receiver. His name's Cameron Chansey from Branson, Missouri. We get to hear about his whole story, how he came to Mizzou, how he was, you know, had always planned on not going to Missouri. Missouri kind of fell into his lap at the last minute the place where he could pl- still play division one football uh, i really enjoyed that interview i really think the listeners are going to enjoy it as well i agree yeah it was it was awesome getting to talk to cameron um a lot of good memories a lot of good stuff um so it was a lot of fun for us too i think we could have gone on for a lot longer yeah we might have to have him back because after we you know stopped recording we kept wanting to talk about stuff i had to be like okay just save, save the rest of that uh we'll you know we need another interview later we'll jump back on uh, we mostly talked about the transition for missouri into the sec and then the first uh, couple years in the sec so we did talk about the 2013 team that was a lot of fun but we really didn't get into the 2014 season very much so we do have that to go back to if we ever want to so that's good yep so um, without further ado here is the interview all right, we are here with two-time SEC East Division champion, Cotton Bowl champion, Citrus Bowl champion, former Mizzou wide receiver walk-on Cameron Chansey. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Happy to be here. So, is that how? Is do you put that on your business card? You know, uh, <laughs> SEC East Division champion, Citrus Bowl champion. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think that'd be a great uh, icebreaker to open up for some people. But um, no, I actually do get asked about it more more often than not. I have my uh, the Citrus Bowl helmet, the last helmet that I wore, sitting on my the desk in my office. And a lot of people, oh, you're you're a you're a Mizzou fan, huh? I was like, oh yeah, that's the the helmet I wore when I played. Oh, nice. You a kicker? <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, I I wasn't a kicker, but thanks for the uh, you know the stereotype. I appreciate that. But um, anyway, so yeah. 
Well, take us through, so you're not a kicker, so take us through uh, kind of the beginnings of your football career. Um, we know that you were a quarterback at Branson. Um, I saw, I was doing a little bit of research and I think I saw, I couldn't find anything about your senior year, but according to maxpreps.com, you were uh, all COC honorable mention quarterback your junior year. Yes, yeah, and then uh, I think I was honorable mention all state senior year. Um, we were pretty nice senior year, not gonna lie. But uh, we, funny enough, we ended up um, going to the playoffs, second or third round, something like that. We actually lost to Corbin Bergstresser's team um, and Lee Summit, who then I ended up being teammates with at Mizzou. But uh, funny, but uh, yeah, so I started off as a QB in Branson, and. Um, was the quarterback I took over the starting spot my sophomore year um then started sophomore the rest of that sophomore year junior year senior year um had a great time played basketball football ran track um really loved running track was a hurdler and just kind of anything else and so it was fun to you know play on the football field with some guys and run track against them as well because Doriel Green was a big track guy as well. So we ran together and did some stuff like that. So, so that was awesome. And then I really thought I was uh, gonna go play football at the Air Force Academy. And so I was gonna go, you know, they run a very similar offense to what we ran in Branson, which wasn't my favorite thing in the world, but we ran the like power eye mid veer option, you know, just, we're just gonna cram it down your throat and the only We'll throw it is on third and a mile. <laughs> and so, you know, whatever. But uh, my freshman year in high school, we ran the spread. My freshman team, I think we went like nine and one or something. And we were just really, really efficient at the spread. But unfortunately for us, our varsity team went one and nine. And so then coach right then was like, nah, I don't know this very well. We're scrapping it, we're changing everything. And we've got this like perfect setup team with like five or six wideouts that are efficient. And we go to like this power eye with one out on the weak side. And you're like, we're just not built for this, but hey, we made it work. So that was fun. But I thought I was going to uh, play QB in college and, and go to a Air Force Academy and kind of do the same system I had been in um, but long story short, last minute, things didn't end up working out. So I was kind of like, oh, shoot, I need to, uh, to figure out another place to go. So I uh, was calling some of the coaches that had recruited me, just saying, hey, you have a spot, anything. I'm, I'm, you know, I'd be willing to walk on as well. And so I uh, ended up, Coach Hill called me back and was like, hey, we've got a spot for you. want to come up. Um, and at that point, I knew big D1, I didn't want to play QB. You know, I'm 6'1-ish uh, at the time, 180 pounds. And I was like, I, you know, that's not the stereotypical QB build. I was like, that's not going to be super, um, you know, conducive for a long, extensive career at the quarterback position. So I was like, I'd much rather play wide receiver, really fast track guy. So I was like, I think I can make the transition to uh, – to that position so that's how it all started went up my freshman year at mizzou and uh, transitioned to wide receiver and it kind of came naturally to me honestly i i uh loved going from the quarterback you're the commander of the team you are 
you know everyone's role, everyone's position, and then all of a sudden at wide receiver, it's like, I just have to know where I'm going. Maybe next to me so we don't collide on certain routes. So I was like, hey, this is, this is actually kind of nice academically. There wasn't as much to study in an already massive playbook. Um, the jump from Branson High, which we probably ran like 25 plays altogether. <laughs> yeah. And then my first day of camp, I get this binder that's like this full of plays. And I'm like, this is just the White House. I don't know <laughs> what else is, you know, but it was good. So that was kind of the transition from high school into college. Yeah. Um, taking a step back real quick, you mentioned track. Uh, uh, and I forgot to mention up top, we now have three Camerons on the on the episode this week. <laughs> so uh, we refer to this Cameron as producer Cameron. Uh, he specifically remembered you smoking him in hurdles in high school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, those were fun times. I loved running the hurdles. It was just, you know, to me, it was like, hey, you can be fast, but then there's also an obstacle in your way. So, you know, go over it and then keep running fast again. So... I love the hurdles, but <laughs> that's funny. And then jumping back real quick to recruiting, you said you meant you reached back out to some coaches that recruited you. So you were on Mizzou's radar uh, when you were still in high school. Can you maybe elaborate on that a little bit and any other yeah. teams that were interested in you at that time? Yeah, so I did um, some combines and different things of the sort and got you know calls from different coaches. But as someone who wanted to go to the Air Force Academy, really an academic move uh, that I wanted to go there. I was also recruited to play football there, but um, I was like, go there and be an aerospace engineer, which now like thinking about that, I'm like, that was the stupidest thing I could have ever thought about even <laughs> doing. But uh, <laughs> so it was stuff like, hey, we'd be interested in, in my conversations, like, hey, that's like super flattering and, and everything, but I think I'm gonna go be an aerospace engineer. And so, you know, had some some smaller schools that I was talking to about aerospace engineering because that was something I really wanted to do almost more than play football at first um, or even run track because I, I had a lot of track uh, excitement at. but I was like hey you know if you guys don't have aerospace engineering then I don't know even know if I want to the conversation and so was just like like Colorado School of the Mines had a great uh uh, aerospace program. So I was like, Hey, I'm, you know, be interested in even seeing what you guys have to offer Missouri S and T or whatever. Um, but then was set on being able to play division one football and school at the air force Academy. And so after that, I kind of just like, didn't pick up the phone, didn't return any of the like letters and notes and stuff that was sent my way. So I really closed myself off to a lot of recruiting, but there were a couple guys that I'd made connections with that I just kind of kept the door open with, like Coach Andy Hill, um, just a super great guy that I had come in contact with. So, Cam, it's, of, uh, you know, was just super closed off to all that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we are entering August, which typically I, I think about fall camp starting and everything. What, what, what was fall camp like? I mean, was that pretty much like the biggest grind ever? Yeah, so honestly, I look back and I think about it and that's the only thing that I can say is it was a grind. You know, you move into the dorms, uh, you got super early wake up calls. It's like, I've got my stuff here for school, but I'm like living in this dorm with 
a duffel bag of stuff that I'm going to camp with. And it's like, you get up and it's just football all day, every day. Um, you know, it's really a lot of meetings, understanding position stuff. There's meetings for every single team on the field. So you've got special teams meetings and for every special team, you know, uh, PAT, kickoff, kickoff return, punt, punt return. There's different meetings for every single one of those. There's different meetings for every single position group. And there's film involved in all of that. So that's a huge portion of two-a-days. And, well, we, it was camp. So we actually eliminated two-a-days, which was kind of nice. But you just had one extended practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get there. And, you know, it's in Columbia, even, you know, down here, it's hot. And so it's nothing like I live in Dallas now, and it's really hot down here. But it was still, you know, in the hundreds in the day in some of the days and it was just uh a grind and so you get up super early head over tape weigh in all that kind of stuff um you know go to a position meeting get kind of your game plan for the day and then you head out to practice and it's just you know non-stop super fast super high pace um kind of at the summer camp you're right at the borderline of like Hey, if you kind of get nicked and dinged, like you've got a quite a bit of time to recover. So we don't really care, you know, (laughs) full speed ahead, especially me, you know, walk on guy. I'm like fourth on depth chart way down there. They're like, you better start busting heads and be a tackling dummy for guys out there and stuff. So I'm getting banged up, beat up (laughs) after practice. Um, at that time, we had a pretty nice facility, so we had uh, a really nice training room and everything like that. Nothing like the one is today, but we only had a small ice bath. And so what they do is they have all these big, like, kiddie pools out there just filled with ice. So, like, the whole team right after practice would jump into the kiddie pools, and, you know, you got guys in, like, crop top shirts sitting in these kiddie pools, like, freezing to death. and. <laughs> It was super fun and they'd give you popsicles and stuff with electro <laughs> so they're like the old old school pop ice popsicles but filled with electrolytes so it's like good for you like a but, gatorade uh, popsicle basically yeah yeah exactly so it was super fun time but it was like i said just a grind a lot of hours mm-hmm. you'd come back after that practice you'd eat then you'd come back for film, be watching film, and then maybe later in the afternoon they do something fun. Like one time we rented out um, a movie theater for us to go watch and got us a bunch of popcorn and stuff like that. So there's fun times as well, but for the most part, you're there to do business and uh, get get on the same page as a bunch of your teammates. Was there ever a point during that kind of stuff, during those grindy times where you thought, since you were just a walk-on, where you're like, man, what what am I even looking forward to at the end of this? Yeah, right. There there were some times where I was like, man, this, you know, the grind stinks and maybe it's not even going to pan out to be worth it if I, you know, don't get any minutes or whatever or whatever I was looking for. But really, you know, for me, it was more about the relationships with the guys that I was there with rather than about me and what I was going to do. And so I just wanted to take time to know the guys on a super deep level, um, get to share spiritually with them where, where I'm at, where I'm from kind of what, you know, what motivates me and what drives me is, 
you know, my Lord and Savior. And so getting to share that with those guys was really more my driver than, you know, I want to see the field or I want to do this. So in those tough times, I'm like, yeah, my body hurts. I feel like I've been banged up. I've like broken all my fingers. You can, like, <laughs> oh, see, yeah. like I got, you know, and, and whatnot. But I'm like, hey, it's not about that. It's about more than what's going on in the field. So to me, it was always worth it. Yeah. Who were who some of your uh, your best friends on the team? Yeah, so fortunately and unfortunately, I had some of the greatest receiving classes in my time at Mizzou, but um, just right off the top of my head, some of my, some, some of my best guys, Bud Sasser, um, long story short, we're from the same hometown. So I'm not originally from Branson, but I was born in Denton, Texas. And so Bud and I actually lived right down the street from each other in Denton, Texas, which is super, super funny. Um, so we had a, a long, deep connection there and, uh, he went to the high school I would have gone to had we stayed in Texas, but, uh, then Doriel was another one of those guys. who I had a prior connection to, um, you guys may know Jake Brintz. He, he played at Kickapoo, um, some guys locally, and then, uh, got really close with LaDamian Washington. Me and LaDamian were super tight. And then we, it's so funny because on any other team, you know, basketball team, there's like 15 guys. On the football team, full roster, not a whole traveling roster, but full roster. We we had about 130 guys, you know, practicing mm-hmm. in a given practice. So there's a ton of guys. So we were with the wide receiving crew a lot. Yeah. And so LaDamian and Marcus Lucas and uh, all those guys, we had a, a really fun crew. TJ Moe was there my freshman year and sophomore year. We got pretty close. So there was just a, a fun group of, of wide receivers that, you know, you're pretty tight-knit with your uh, with your position group. I actually went to Kickapoo as well. So I um, I was in the same grade as Jake Burns. Um I didn't know him super well, but, man, he was a, he was a really good football player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then funny story about Bud Sasser, the three of us actually played on a church league basketball team with him like two years ago. Yeah. Three years no ago. Way. Yeah. Three years yeah. And then yeah. he only played one game because he had to move back to Texas. I guess he was going to try and start working out for the NFL again. So he, yeah. he played one he, game with us. <laughs> he played one game with us, shot a buzzer beater and missed to try to win the game. And then uh, that, and then that was it. We had to play the rest of the again. season without him. <laughs> Dang, that's unfortunate. That's hilarious. Yeah, you but know? he was all in yeah. while he was there. He like came to our practices. Yeah, and, he was um, a cool guy. Yeah, he was all aboard the team. Yeah, he, he's the man. I it's funny. A lot of people don't know his real name's Larry. So uh, I, I always give him a hard time, and I call him Larry all the time. So <laughs> Larry. But man, that's super fun. Yeah. So we had a bunch of really really close guys right there. And then some of the some of the other guys, Corbin Bergstresser and I got really close. He was one of the QBs, um, James Franklin as well. Um, and then another guy, Alex Dimchek, he was on there, another QB. But uh, it's funny, the guys that you end up spending a lot of time with, so quarterbacks and, and uh, wide receivers yeah. are really a lot of the guys that we spent a lot of time with. And, and then how Coach did our locker room, which was really fun, is you weren't next to any – position players that you were positioned with so every locker um was like alternating with guys so you know I may have had another offensive player in my row but not necessarily next to me so uh David Johnson one of our corners was right next to me and we 
were in the same class. So we were next to each other all four years. And then um, Shane Ray was right down the way as well. So, you know, just a bunch of, they mixed up the locker room. So you kind of had your, your guys who you got to know really well as well. So that was fun. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Gary Pinkle? You talked about, you know, different things that he did, uh, like how he ran practices and set up the locker room mm-hmm. and stuff. Just, um, he always kind of struck us. We were talking about before we hopped on here as a guy that maybe just kind of was a less hands-on maybe, maybe we're completely off, but that's the perception we have is he just kind of lets his assistants do their thing and he's just kind of assessing everything from the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty accurate as far as practice would go. Um, you know, he was such a great guy of putting the right people in the right spots so that he could do that, you know? So he had the right offensive coordinators, the right position coaches, the right guys leading this portion of practice and the right guys doing that. And I feel like from my position, it looked like he had so much trust in them that he was okay overseeing everything. And that didn't mean he was just like standing on the sideline the whole time. Like he'd get up in your grill and and let you have it, you know, if you were out of line, but he was roaming around, he'd visit the wideouts in our practices. is it, you know, the O-line doing their drills? He'd be over with the D-backs making sure everything was there. But it really – it was like he set the guys um, in their positions to be able to succeed. And so he gave Coach Steck, um, who's now, I think, at Missouri State, just so much opportunity. Just he gave him the reins on the defense. And, you know, he gave – we had a couple of different coordinators while I was there on offense. Coach Henson um, – and a couple other guys, just the reins to be able to say, hey, it's on you guys. But he was very um, involved with what they were doing. So we could kind of see that. And then, you know, if you – it's super funny from, you know, now that I've been out a few years, I've seen the transition. But he was very, very traditional in just, like, uniform and everything like that. Like, no – guys couldn't wear earrings, no necklaces, no – like, your shirt – underneath your pads had to either be black or white and it had to like match the color you know whatever and or it couldn't be white it had to be black or gray and it was just funny how he was just very traditional in that and if you weren't wearing it he'd he'd let you know that you needed to have it on the next day or whatever so but uh he was he was a super great guy he genuinely cared about every guy on the team which i really really admired and he took such a a strong almost fatherly role to a lot of the guys but it went deeper than football at the end of a lot of our meetings during the week um he would give segments on on just how to be a a stand-up citizen how to be uh, a guy a man of character how to respect women how to you know do all of these things that that were very very great and so I admired him a lot for that, that it wasn't just, hey, y'all are all here to play football for me and that's it. But he wanted to to, to develop us as young men and leaders to go out after football and make the community and make the people around us better. So that was really cool. And I really admired Coach a lot for that. I got just one quick one, Kyle, and then I'll let you take over. Would, were you, would you consider yourself a Mizzou fan like in high school or in middle school <laughs> or anything? Yeah, that's that's a, a great question. Honestly, not. So, you know, I, I long story short, my mom actually did go to Mizzou, um, but she grew up in 
city and everyone on her side of the family went to KU. Mm. And so when she ended up going to Mizzou, she got a scholarship last second, switched to Mizzou from KU. Um, she was a golden girl at Mizzou, but my grandfather ended up sending a letter out to everyone in the family saying there's been a tragedy in the family. <laughs> and so, you That's know, awesome. it's just, it's funny. And so my mom was, was kind of like, Hey, you know, I want you to like Mizzou, but <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> it was never like crazy. And being originally from Texas, I was kind of a Texas guy. I was like, you know, love UT and, and different schools down here. But uh, then when we moved to Missouri, I was like, eh, you know, kind of like Mizzou didn't follow them a ton, but they got really good right before I got there. And so that always helps. then I was kind of like, okay, I know who Chase Daniel is. I know who, you know, these guys are. And I'm like, oh, all right, this Jeremy Macklin guy is pretty good out here. <laughs> Not hear things, but then um, really the turning point was honestly like day one of my first summer camp. Like right after that, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is crazy. I'm, you know, Mizzou fan for life. Not really fan, but like, this is a brotherhood that you bond with these guys out there over. And it's like, it goes way beyond football. And so at that moment in time, I was like, yeah, MIZ forever. But it did take a little bit. But uh, yeah, and I I wasn't like a crazy diehard fan before that. So going back, I may not recall things as well. (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. So outside of uh, Doriel Green-Beckham, who were some of the most talented players you ever played with at Mizzou? Well, yeah, or you can say outside of DGB because he was a freak. <laughs> I and figured that'd be an obvious answer. It was just answer. raw talent. Yeah. It was just raw talent. Like, I mean, I'm sure he would hate me saying this, but we were weight partners together. <laughs> like, I look, you look at me, I'm, I'm right now 180 pounds and 6'1", and I, he's like lifting the same weight as I am. <laughs> he was just naturally gifted and didn't have to work at anything. And mm-hmm. so you know, kind of in the weight room, he was like, you know, whatever. But uh, he, did, he did end up, uh, you know, really turning things on later and, and grinding some more. But um, yeah, he was just a freak. And then another guy who was just out of his mind, just crazy talented was a guy named Sheldon Richardson. Um, he was a beast. <laughs> And like fun, I've got a funny story about Sheldon. This goes back to my first summer camp. So like I said, I wasn't a big Mizzou fan. I don't know who like any of these guys are prior to getting there. You know, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, they're just other guys. And uh, so of course, you know, me being a walk on one of the new freshmen, whatever, you get thrown on scout team and you just like look at a card they hold up a card and they're like, hey, go run this play. I'm like, okay, like I didn't get many touches, didn't get many targets, whatever. Finally, a screenplay pops up and coach is like, Cam, you take this one. I was like, yes, like I've been waiting for just like the chance to get the ball in my hand. So we run the play, QB takes one step, slings it. I take a step, pop back, grab the ball. And I look up and it's just open field. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. I tuck the ball and I just fly down the field and just take it to the house. Like there was no one there. Well, what I didn't realize was coming next was a whistle immediately blew, run it again. I'm like, 
Well, if you know the only reason a screenplay works is because you have the element of surprise. <laughs> right, Obviously, right. that corner was bailing because I'd run like eight streaks in a row down the field. And so he knew that I was going to fly down the field. So when I took off fast and stopped, you know, he had already bailed out. Well, whistle blows. Coach says, run it again. I'm kind of like, you know, we've done it a few times. The guys just kind of go half speed, whatever. So I'm like, all right. Well, thinking I'm smarter than the defense who knows the play that's coming now. I'm like, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to take a few steps, and instead of just an immediate quick screen and turn up, what I'm going to do is I'm going to run this, um, you know, a little bit deeper. And so I will take two steps up, and then I'll kind of bow in. What this will give me the opportunity to do is have my lineman get out a little bit to block in front of me. So I'm like, hot shot freshman thinking, you know, I just took one to the house. I'm about to do it again. And uh, so I take two steps up the field, turn around, catch the screen pass, turn up the field. Next thing I know, I'm on my back. Just like, I have no idea what happened. Like my head is ringing. Like I can taste stuff in my mouth. I'm like, like my vision is just like completely blurred. Well, what happened was our O-line was like, yeah, it's kind of half speed. I'm not really going anywhere. He's out there. I'm not doing anything. So they just like stood up like this. And I kind of cut back inside and I met Sheldon Richardson right there. And he hit me head on full speed, basically helmet to helmet and just flattened me on my back. And I will never forget it. Like Sheldon destroyed me. I mean, he's a huge guy. He's still kicking around in the league, bouncing from team to team. But like, Right then, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is another level of football. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> he just destroyed me. And so, like, I'm super slow to get up. And one, one of Coach Pinkle's things was, like, you never stay down on the ground. Even if, like, you're hurt, you try and get up. And so that was, like, my first also interaction with GP is, get up, get up, <laughs> like, scream- <coughs> like, screaming at me. And I'm like feel like my innards are broken my head you know i'm i can't see anything i'm like trying to find my way back my helmet's on sideways and but um yeah so that was really really fun sheldon was uh, a freak athlete i'm trying to think of who else um marcus golden was another one of the guys who i just knew that he was destined for the next level by only his work work ethic and that's what made him so gifted is he worked harder than anyone else always. And so he transferred in, I can't remember, maybe it was from Hutchinson Community College, something like that, a small, small school, maybe even a prep school. But he transferred in and it's just his, his year in, his first year. I mean, he was, you think about the DNs that we had in, in my time there. I mean, there was no spot for him in the rotation. You know, we've got... I'm trying to think of who was at the time. Michael Sam and Jaquise, Coney Ely. Yeah, Shane yeah. And Jaquise Smith was there and Coney Ely was there and, you know, all these guys. Mike was there. And uh, and so his only spot literally was on special teams. And I'll never forget it. The reason Marcus Murphy was so good is because he was there the entire time. So Marcus N.G., uh, funny, they're both named Marcus, but um, but uh, 
he was running down the sideline, just knocking everyone out of the way and uh, allowing Murph to make some of those really, really long runs. It was just cool because he just wanted it so bad. And so you knew that no matter where Marcus Golden was going to be on the field, he was going to give it 110%. And so I think the coaches really, really realized that. And he was just the hardest worker. Just go, you know, sorry, I was going to say something that I realized we're on, <laughs> I'm on a podcast. Probably shouldn't say that, but uh, <laughs> something to the wall. Yeah. He'd go something to the wall every day. And, uh, it was just, you know, super cool to watch. So he was one of those guys that may not have been the most just like natural talent like Doriel was, but he just worked so hard that you just knew he was going to be phenomenal. Um, it just came out today that he got a new contract with the Giants. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty Quite, fat one. Yeah. <laughs> Quick note <laughs> on uh, on Doriel. I, uh, I played against him in eighth grade. Uh, I remember I didn't even know who he was at the time, um, but we were playing against Reed Middle School. That's where he went. And uh, yeah. I see him, like, walking down the sidewalk with his team to the field. And at, I'm, I kid you not, in eighth grade, he was already, like, 6'5", 200 pounds. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. We have to play against this kid? Like, who is this? And, like, he, he was um, playing running back, I believe, at that time. But he was also their their punt returner, and I saw some guys who I felt like were really good football players on my team yeah. get absolutely destroyed by him. Like when he had the ball, I mean, he was just running over people like it was like a toddler trying to tackle him. It was yeah, it was insane. I mean, he was he was a mutant. But <laughs> a funny Doriel story that has nothing to do with my time at Mizzou. But um, I when I ran track, I'd run the uh, the one ten hurdles and the three hundred hurdles. And in most of our local meets, um, just I was guaranteed like 20 points from that almost. And um, then coach would put me in like a relay that we needed or whatever. And then he would sometimes have me long jump if we needed more points. And so I'm at this meet, I think it was at Camdenton or something. I'd won the 110 hurdles. I'd won the 300 hurdles. So coach was like, yeah, we'll put you in uh, the long jump to score more points because we actually have a shot at winning this meet. And so I'm over at long jump. Like, you know, I've kind of done all my races. I'm going to really give it a good shot, a good go at, at winning the long jump. And so, you know, I'm warming up, doing my stuff, getting my marks. I, I do my first attempt. It was pretty good. Do my second attempt. And uh, I'm jumping pretty far. Like, and I, I'm looking around at the other guys. I'm like, dang this is you know I'm jumping pretty well and then I jump again I, I jump like 21 feet which is really really far in high school and so I'm like I mean that could honestly get me to state but uh, <laughs> I'm thinking there's no way anyone else is going to jump near this and uh, I'm kind of like hey do you mind if I see like where everyone else is at and you know I was a few feet ahead of the next guys and I see Doriel Green Beckham at the bottom of the list and I, he had recorded no attempts, and I was kind of like, oh, no. Like, I hope he's not going to jump or, or whatever. I don't know why he hasn't done anything yet. And, uh, you know, they make final call, Doriel Green-Beckham, like, please report to long jump or you'll be forfeited, whatever. Kind of like fingers crossed. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> Doriel comes walking over in his tennis shoes. He, like, bends down, ties on his spikes, and uh, 
He's like, all right, here we go. No warm, no nothing. I don't even think he like marked out how far he was away. Just ran, hit the plate, jumps over, literally jumps like 23 something. And I was like, oh my gosh. He gets up, he walks over the guy like sitting there with the clipboard. And he's like, anyone beat that? The guy goes, no. He's like, all right, scratch my last two jumps. I'm done. Wow. <laughs> wow. And I was just like, all right, cool. Cool. I appreciate that one. So, uh, getting a hard time about that one. Just like you were such a, you're so full of yourself, <laughs> but Hey, he, he could do it. Yeah. I, it took about eight of us to, to tackle him in that eighth grade football game. He was, I can imagine. He's a monster. I can imagine. I mean, then it, it, even in the sec, I mean like a uh, four touchdown game against Kentucky and mm-hmm. you know, it, it just, you know, there's not very many guys that can just walk into the premier college football conference and just dominate the way he did i still think he is one of the top 10 like highest ranked wide receiver recruits on like the history of rivals.com oh yeah he is literally one of the like greatest like wide receiver recruits coming out of high school to this day i think he's top 10 all-time recruits in any position you might be right at least on 24 7 yeah that's insane and and it doesn't surprise me from the numbers he was putting up his body physique type coming out of high school i mean he was a mutant i remember espn did like a special on him like when he was before he committed to missouri Mm -hmm. and then he had like a signing day special thing as well i will never forget whenever i saw on my phone like i was sitting in my phone in class in high school or something and saw you committed to mizzou and i was just like you've got to be kidding me yeah it's insane yeah so i mean it was crazy at campus too when he came up for his visit because he was a year behind me in school mm-hmm. um but he came up and the entire so we call it the missouri athletic training complex it's matsy for short. so he came up to the matsy and was going to go on a tour well if you've ever been there here's the stadium here's the training complex there's a bridge that goes across the street and it's kind of like an island like the roads in town kind of run around it. And so it's kind of hard to get in there. It was shoulder to shoulder. Like, kid you not, at least like a thousand people, the bus had to like go. It was like almost like a game day. The, the, uh, it wasn't a bus, sorry. The, uh, Tahoe that was like driving him had to go in between like lanes and all these people, they get out, they were chanting M I Z D G B and like just going absolutely nuts. And, you know, we're all walking into the state, like into the, to the athletic training complex. Like, wow. Like they're really going nuts for this recruit. Like he must <laughs> really, really good. And I knew him. So I, you know, I kind of knew, but it was just funny. Like the football team's not even like getting any of this, but this kid <laughs> from Springfield. Yeah. And uh, so it was pretty funny, but, but it worked. So that was, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. I always kind of wonder what, the team thinks like especially like we've had some missouri's had some basketball teams recently that aren't doing so well and uh they'll host a big recruit or something and i kind of wonder when there's like the student section or the fans that are more excited about the recruit visiting than the actual team because of their struggles i kind of wonder what that does for the morale of the players but maybe some of those guys were in that position a couple years before so maybe it evens out yeah yeah exactly and you know we had a bunch of pretty big recruits as well um in my class and in the classes before me so they were able to kind of you know just brush it off uh, whatever guys let's you know it'd be great if we got them but if not but 
it was funny. Some of the guys would still give him a hard time after he, you know, even came to Mizzou and stuff. And it was fun, but always, you know, in good fun. It wasn't like, yeah. you know, hurtful or anything, but hey, he's, he was a freak. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a pretty open-ended question so you can spend however much time on each section how you want. I'm just curious about kind of the mindset of the team as you guys transitioned to the SEC and then really took some lumps that first season with injuries and, um, you know, maybe not quite living up to expectations, probably internally more than anywhere else. And then that bounce back year in 2013 when just about everything went right. Can you just kind of take us through that? Whatever parts you want to talk about more, go ahead. Yeah, I'll take you through the full transition from from the where I saw it on inside the team. Um, so my freshman year, we're in the Big 12. Super, super exciting. Um, that's been a long time now, so I can't remember <laughs> everything that was taking place. But <clears throat> we had a lot of excitement in that season. I know we beat Texas at Mizzou, which was super, super fun. Um, I think that was like the first time we beat them in a really long time. And so there was just a lot of excitement in that. We ended up going to the Independence Bowl and winning that um, against UNC, which was pretty fun. But, it, you know, it wasn't a top bowl. It wasn't anything crazy. And so then the rumors start coming around. of Could we be going to the SEC? Could all this happen? And, um, you know, there was a lot of money behind that move. And it was the right move for – the entirety of the program, given that Mizzou has really great other sports as well, you know, swimming, diving, like all just running the entire, you know, spectrum of, of Mizzou athletics is the right play. And so we're hyped up, obviously get You get a piece of the best league uh, in college football and we're feeling pretty confident. You know, we've got a great team. We've got a great recruiting class coming in were you know really really confident and there's all this even more excitement around it because we get new jerseys new helmets like i mean we our stuff was kind of crummy before i mean it was kind of traditional kind of whatever but like nothing crazy and then all of a sudden like this is unveiled and like this is the greatest stuff ever like that would have been, awesome. been controversial with the with the old white guys <laughs> what you just said yeah. oh yeah we, we probably got some listeners who are like crummy <laughs> the block m crummy yeah sorry so, <laughs> you didn't hurt my family obviously no, obviously the the m is making a comeback on some of their alternative helmets and everything but just you know a player's perspective new fun stuff so nike ended up it, it was super fun we got to learn a lot about it but that color of gold is specific to only Mizzou. So they like specifically made that color gold. They did the tiger stripes on the helmet. You know, it was just a bunch of stuff that was super, super cool. But um, so like, there's so much excitement building. And then obviously we get in the season, not a season turned out. And a lot of people will look at that and go, oh, it's kind of like a bust, flop, whatever. They're not as good as they think they are, whatever. They don't belong, all this. In my honest opinion, that team was the most talented team I played on. And we went to the SEC championship two years in a row after that. And so that just tells you like 
we were just plagued by injury at the wrong time. We lost some key linemen. James Franklin got hurt. We just it, we were just plagued the entire season with some near misses. You know, <laughs> Sheldon ended up doing something stupid, and Coach Pinkle suspended him for the last game against Syracuse. Which, if we win that, we're bowl eligible to kind of redeem the season. And they steal one away from us at home. You know, it, it was rough, but that team was phenomenal. And so morale-wise, inside the locker room and inside the team, we knew how close we were to being sensational that season. You know, we don't have some of those key injuries. We don't have – we don't lose some of those close games and, boom, that season is completely different. But it it honestly kind of helped to our advantage because now everyone's like, who is this Mizuchi and they didn't go bowl eligible last year? Like, whatever. And so then the transition, you know, we kept that same fire. Um, it was actually, like I hate to say this, but it was kind of nice we didn't go bowl eligible based on only the fact that I hated that, hated it, wanted to go to a bowl really bad. But when you're a, when you're a Mizzou football player, when you're a college football player and you go bowl eligible, basically what you're – entire break looks like from school is you've got finals and you're gearing up for well right before finals is when like conference championship time is then you've got finals and as soon as finals hit you're done and you have like three days off like coach gives you like a few days right after finals to focus on finals i think finals week you know super light but then as soon as that's done you have like a month and a half until your bowl game's really going to play. And so it's kind of that same thing that I talked about in summer camp. It's like, you've got a long time to work through nicks and dings. Let's go really, really hard. (laughs) And so it's honestly time for younger guys to shine and time for guys like me to show out. So it it was a fun opportunity. But through that whole time, you're working out, you're practicing, you've got practice every single day. Now you're out of class. At Mizzou, we were out for six weeks. And so being out for six weeks, you know, that's a lot of time to do nothing if you're just a student. But we're practicing the entire time. Um, When we were at the Independence Bowl, we played, I think, the 25th or 6th, like the day after Christmas, I think. And so we didn't spend Christmas with our families, didn't go home at all. So you're practicing all the way up. You fly to wherever you are. You spend like a week there do all that and then maybe you're home for a week or two and then you're back at practice again you know for winter stuff so the only reason that was nice was the fact that we were immediately done and could just enjoy all six weeks of break and coach was just like you guys better be ready to go when you get back like don't take this time off of working out don't you know blow it but you know, take time to rest, recover, and then we're getting after it. So it was kind of a nice little break for us um, because then we didn't have that for three years after that, which I'm thankful for. But um, then coach was just like, hey, let's get after it. And we, we all had that mindset of like, hey, we're better than people think we are. And now we really need to prove ourselves because people are really looking down on us in the SEC. So we use that as some fuel to the fire and uh, 
came out guns a blazing after that and really, really, I think did an amazing job. That junior season for me was the first year um, we won the SEC East. We ended up playing Auburn mm-hmm. in the championship, and that place was insane. It felt like we had 25 Mizzou fans there. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure it did. <laughs> but uh, but it was just the atmosphere playing in the old Georgia Dome mm-hmm. was super, super fun, getting to experience that. But um, that was just insane. But that year, I mean, we were so close. Oh, yeah. Things turn out differently in the second half of the fourth quarter. Yeah. Man, if... In the next- yeah as a fan and, uh, that 2013 season was probably one of the most fun seasons i've ever had watching any sport and you know there's a return yeah. of henry josie and yeah like you said i yep. mean just a few plays potentially away from a national championship i mean it it just doesn't yeah. happen for missouri that much you no. know and uh man that i no. gotta say that auburn game was electrifying it was insane, but it also like was heartbreaking knowing how close we were to having like a once in a lifetime experience, you know, as a fan. Yeah, and insanely frustrating just watching Auburn run up and down the field on us, and yeah. we're just like, man, what is happening I right don't, now? I don't the- know if I'll ever forgive Dave Steckel for that game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a shame right. that uh, everything great he did, just like you can always just think about that SEC championship game and just shake your head and like, man, some kind of adjustment, please, coach. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, I think, uh, and speaking of Doriella, I think he might have had the first score of that game on that, like, touchdown pass where it was kind of controversial, like, if he actually caught it or not. It looked like he kind of dropped it, but they called it a touchdown, and it stood. Yeah. I remember that about that game, but it, that was a He that showed f- up big in that game. He did, And yeah. the offense just kept pace with Auburn and, uh, yeah, just needed a couple more plays. Really until the fourth quarter, yeah. E, yeah. Uh, EJ Gaines, I think, got a scoop and score. That, like, yep. I mean, it's yep. just kind of crazy. That yeah. was a fun season. It was crazy. Yeah, EJ is still playing. Mm-hmm. I think he's on the. I think he's opting out this something. season. I think I just saw he's opting. Oh, is he? Out. Oh, yeah, well. just <laughs> like like a couple days ago, I saw that. But yeah, well, we'll see. It'll be interesting. But you yeah. got that team kind of woke Insane. everybody up. Uh, the, uh, after the Georgia game, um, you know that was a big statement win, and that was also uh, James Franklin was injured, and Maddie Mont came into that game. Um, was there ever a feeling I, I know as fans there was this kind of like okay james franklin getting injured again um are we in store for the same type of thing as last year um but obviously the year before you didn't have uh, maddie mock ready to go what was the dynamic there like and uh since you were a receiver i figure you had some kind of insight into that yeah yeah, yeah. so i'm obviously in the room with all those <laughs> big playmakers and everything. And it was just such a respect for James and what he did for the team and his style of play, the way he handled himself, the way he was composed. Um, he came back a little different from his injury, which was a little bit like, come on, James, let's go like, you know, get back to it. Um, but it was always, you know, Matty Mock would get his series there I think after that and and whatever but it was just what we knew and and I think collectively as a group anytime you have you know a rise of skill level and a rise of talent it can be detrimental if it's not handled in the right way but the way that it was taken care of internally with a respect for James was just you know he's gotten us this point he's done this um 
he's got the opportunity until he proves otherwise. I think everyone else was behind him in that, you know, or as far as the wide receiver group goes, we were confident in James' level of performance and knew that he was going to, you know, take us as far as he could take us. And, and Matthew was fun and electrifying and exciting, but it was just a different style of play. You know, you've got a huge built quarterback in James and then you've got a smaller, scrappy scrambler in Maddie. And from the wide receiver position, those balls look a lot different when they're thrown from escaping outside the pocket to someone a little bit more present in the pocket. So, you know, it, it just was a little bit give and take. Kind of knew what you were going to expect. Maybe expect a big play with Maddie here and there, but then you kind of had a little bit more consistency from James. And guys just had a lot of respect for his leadership and the way James commanded the offense. So there was never really any kind of like, oh, we coach, you should go with Matt. You know, there was never any of that. But or to my knowledge, but. there wasn't. The, there was plenty of that in the fan base. Uh, so oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah, we could hear it too. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget uh, Maddie Mock's first start, I believe, against Florida. You know, we we're a little bit nervous. Uh, like, how is this going to go? The season's going really well. I want it to just continue. Uh, keep the momentum and right off the bat he just is killing torches him yeah Yeah. that that was a really really exciting win super super fun was there was there a more demoralizing loss in any in your entire football career than that south carolina game that season no i was just gonna say wait let me guess (laughs) and uh which one you were gonna say in i mean i can still hear that sound like like perfectly (laughs) yeah and you know so a lot of uh, i was a backup holder for a long time as well and held a little bit and so andrew baggett and i had a great relationship and i just felt so bad because he was the sweetest guy and he worked so hard and so you know kind of guys when you're in practice you see the kickers kind of off doing their thing and from the from the couch everyone thinks that they could kick a you know 40 yard field goal easy and everything like this and then all the factors come into play when it's actually happening and when you're really out there um but i just felt like he was getting death threats and things for and it was just like super super hard on him emotionally and you know i wish now looking back i wish i knew more what was going on and could have you know offered a hand to talk through some of it with him because i just know that emotionally that's that's rough on your mind mess with him a little bit just in his confidence of hey i need to make this you know or else that stuff's gonna happen again and you know Mm -hmm. it's just unfortunate but yeah we were all pretty bummed and you always think in your mind you're just a kicker you should be able to make all these things but man that's that's one of the toughest jobs on the field yeah andrew baggett had a really a pretty solid career at mizzou but i'm afraid that he will probably always be remembered for for that moment but you know looking back i don't really feel like the season changes that much even if you guys do win that game you know i think the same thing happens you still play auburn in this in the championship in the sec championship and yeah probably go to the same bowl i'm not sure that the season really ends up being all that different yeah at the time it seemed a lot worse at the than time how it, was, it ended it yeah. was devastating yeah. i'm trying to think that was yeah we played so yeah i mean we still play texas a&m at home beat johnny menzel and I mean, 
mm-hmm. more favored in that game or whatever, or I, I don't know. What, yeah. But yeah, a higher ranking in the yeah. in the BCS. Yeah, we would have um, been you know top five for sure. But I, I think you guys did still end at fifth at the end of the year. Yeah. End at fifth I yeah. think or so, something. Mm-hmm. After yeah, when yeah. it was all said and done after the Cotton Bowl win. Yeah, yeah. I think fifth. Mm-hmm. After the Cotton Bowl win. Yeah. And that was a, that game was a blast. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I, I still mean, there was a lot of back and forth there too. And Shane scooped and scored one from a long way out. Basically but, um, sealed it. I still yeah. get a little misty yeah. eyed when I watch the highlights of that game. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> it's it's fun now because I live in Dallas. Um and I'm a huge Cowboys fan, but it's fun. When we played in that game, we practiced there for the whole week, which was so cool because unfortunately for Oklahoma State, I can't remember how it worked out, but they had to practice in, uh, I think, Highland Park High School's facility. (laughs) And we got to practice in Cowboys Stadium for every practice. And so how it worked was we'd show up in our buses uh, we stayed downtown in a hotel and we'd get in our buses, drive out. It's, you know, it's not super close to downtown, but it's out in Frisco. <clears throat> uh, or, no, it's, anyway, it's out that way. <laughs> but uh, we'd go out there and we would uh, get to the stadium, go into the locker room. And we're in the same locker room as the Cowboys use. Like, it's not any different. It's just stuff is in there and not theirs. And so you're in there and, uh, you know, you've got like 20 minutes to be on the field. So you get your stuff on really fast. You run out there. Well, practice would end and the bus would leave in like an hour and a half because guys have to do treatment. You have to do, you know, get your, take your ankle tape off, undo kind of the stuff that you get ready for, for practice as far as injury prevention, um, get you know, all that treatment stuff taken care of. So you have a lot of leeway after. So the entire stadium is empty and open. So we would just right after practice shower real quick, like throw on your stuff and then just haul out to just explore Cowboy Stadium with not a soul in it. (laughs) And you kind of have the keys to the kingdom essentially because if anyone stops you like, yeah, I'm supposed to be here. (laughs) Like it's one of those very rare times where you're like, supposed to be somewhere where no one else is and you kind of have like favoritism shown on you and you can kind of play the naive car ah, i'm just looking for the locker room <laughs> but uh so yeah we got to wander around a lot and that was a super super cool experience got to have uh dinner with jerry jones on one of the balconies and watch tv up on the massive screen and everything so the entire atmosphere other than the game was was also really really fun but that's awesome. Um, uh, going back just for a minute, I was at the Texas A&M game that sealed the deal for yes. the, the SEC East. And uh, I'll never forget Henry Josie kind of hitting that gap and making that little hurdle and taking it to the house. And just, I don't think I've ever, it, funny enough, the only time I've ever been in a, an environment that amped up and electric was before Michael Porter Jr.'s first game um, on the basketball team, which was a totally different situation, not hardly any stakes <laughs> in that game. Yeah. But, uh, and then, uh, the, the crowd rushing the field and everything. Um, that was just kind of a surreal was, thing to see as a Mizzou fan. It was insane. It, it was really, really a blast. And, and of course, uh, Johnny Manziel being the guy that you take down to get to the, to get to that point. Yeah. 
it was fun because the year I'm trying to think two years prior to that no no the year before that was our our bust year in the sec yeah. and he won the heisman that he year stomped us down yeah. at a at texas station yeah and so it was just like so good he's this you know king-like character of college football and and we get the w and you know yeah and then go to the sec championship because they had a lot riding on that game as well mm-hmm. um but still and that was, was really fun that uh, was the same night as the Alabama Auburn uh, kick six that sent Auburn to the national championship. And as Mizzou fans, we were all like, you're kidding me. Like Missouri's going to get to play Auburn instead of Alabama. Like that's yeah. a dream come true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was crazy. Yeah. Now that you say that, I was like, I don't even remember watching the game yeah. for probably a good reason. But, <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> but I've seen the video a million times. And we were, uh, as yeah. Mizzou fans, we were actually watching the score on the scoreboard in the stadium, and we saw it go from Auburn losing with three seconds left to Auburn <laughs> winning in regulation. And we were like, what happened? Like, Because we were paying attention to that score all night, wondering yeah, yeah, if Missouri yeah. pulls this off, who are we going to play? And so we saw that score happen, and we were just like, what could have happened there? And then come to find out, yeah, field goal return for and a touchdown. And then he watched the most iconic college football play of all I time. I watched yeah. that live, actually. That that literally was, like, the most iconic thing in college football history, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Just insane. But I will say, anytime we shared the field with Alabama, though, that was just so cool. <laughs> you know, they're, they're just a dynasty of dynasties. And just, you know, so my sophomore year, our first year in the SEC, we played them at home, which was so cool. And we had like hundreds of thousands of people in town to watch the game and it's rowdy and the stadium sold out and people are piled everywhere. And then it storms Pouring and, down rain. Yeah. and the game gets delayed. And so everyone leaves. And what was different about the big 12 to sec was the big 12. You uh, could leave the game and come back in. Right. Right. And see, as you leave the game, you're done. Like you can't go back in. So all these people had to leave, take cover. They're like, I'm not getting rained on. They leave. And like, there's no one there. And so I'll never forget this. So we come back out from one of the rain delays. I don't remember which one. I mean, it felt like we were in there for two hours with the storm going on. We come back out, they kick off to us and we take it to the house. And it's just us cheering. <laughs> Wasn't it TJ like, Moe? Like, we're so hyped. We just took this thing to the basement. And there's like, you know, 80 of us on the sideline cheering for Murph as he takes this one to the house. And it's like, man, if this place was full with the like 80,000 people that were in there, that completely flips the script on how this game goes. Instead, yeah. it's me and my like, yeah, nice run. You know, and it's just... I think if memory serves, it was like 28 to zero or something like at that point, maybe. So, yeah, yeah, I I I remember watching that game and just like it it really was like so cool at the beginning when the stadium was packed and then just terrible timing for it was rowdy storm. And then and then, yeah, the the, the wind went out of our sails real quick. (laughs) Because then only like 20,000 people were allowed back in. So it just felt like. Like there were less people there than are typically at our uh, black and gold scrimmage. <laughs> yeah, social distancing. <laughs> uh, Q, 
Cam, you've been very gracious with your time. Uh, we've been talking to you for almost an hour here. And Kyle, do you have any other big questions that you wanted to get to? Do you have anything that any stories that you were hoping maybe we would get to anything that you want to tell us about that we just didn't quite get around to? Oh man, let me think for just a second, but I'll just say thank you guys so much for having me on. It's been a blast. Thank you. Um, you guys have a, a real cool thing going here and I'm looking forward to listening to more, but um, I'm trying to think before I leave. Um, Speaking of social distancing, I guess I'll bring this up really quick. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about how the season's going to happen, all that stuff. They're trying, like Major League Baseball is happening right now. They're trying to contain all the players, you know, keep them from going out at night and stuff like that. Is that a realistic thing for college football in 2020? Can they contain these players? From what I know of college kids in the way, so, I mean, y'all may not know this, you may know it, but when we would go to home games in town, we had to go stay in a hotel on the opposite end of town as far away as you could get from all of it just to kind of be secluded. And I know that, you know, it's still madness and chaos keeping guys in there and, you know, doing everything that you can to keep your players safe and in bed at a reasonable hour to prepare for, you know, a game that's just like any other game. I have a really, really hard time seeing how they'll keep their finger on all these players the rest of the time, you know, and, and the thing that's so difficult about football as well as, you know, I think a lot of these sports, but, you know, with football, every one game matters a lot more than a lot of other sports, you know, arguably college basketball is kind of the same way just because it's a condensed schedule, but in the NBA and the MLB, you know, you're seeing these games play out and it's like, you know, we don't have to win this one. We can take this one off. So if you get one or two players, three or four players on a baseball team that test positive and they sit out, you know, it's kind of whatever. Maybe we'll lose this, this, uh, you know, series or whatever. But in a college football or from the NFL, you have the opportunity to potentially lose an entire offensive line from one week to the next. And then what happens then you know, in their quarantine and you're trying to find guys to fill those positions because, you know, a 52-man roster in the NFL doesn't have a lot of reserve spots on there. So it, it just looks a little bit different for football than a lot of these other sports. And that's a lot of guys and a lot of possible interactions, even if you're only dealing with a 52, 53-man, you know, a little bit more than that with IR roster that's still a considerable amount more than 15 NBA players that you're trying to keep track of. So, you know, I, I love football more than anything else. And I don't want it happen. I just have a hard time seeing them really find a, a stone, like a super solid way of keeping, keeping them in, uh, in line. But, you know, that's way too much of a logical, rational take on that. We really needed you to just, you know, <laughs> spin some kind of story where, yeah, no, it'll be a piece of cake. It's uh, not a big deal at all. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, I, I, I uh, you got, know, think got nothing realistically, of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, thank you guys again so much for having me. I'll just, uh, leave you with my time at Mizzou was, was unbelievable and, and wouldn't trade it for the world. Got a bunch of 
you know, super fun experiences, opportunities, uh, developed some amazing relationships, had a bunch of super, super great coaches, great staff. Um, I wish nothing but the world for, for the program moving forward. And uh, yeah, I loved it and, and loved everything about Mizzou. So I miss it. Just love getting up to Columbia. If only it was easier to fly there. Oh, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, well, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we got a lot of good content there. Got a lot of our questions answered. We love seeing sort of how stuff works behind the scenes, stuff that fans don't uh, typically see, you know, all the time. So we really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, if we think of a bunch of other questions, we'll have you back another time or, uh, you know, if there's something else say, for us to talk about. Yeah, I was going to say, feel free if you, you know, are on the way home and you think, oh, shoot, I should have asked that. Or I wonder what that's like or, you know, whatever. Shoot me, you know, feel free to holler and, and I'll answer your questions for you. So. All right. That sounds great. Appreciate uh, it. Yeah. We all have a great night. Yep. You too, that was uh, Cam Chancy. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. And that was an interview we did uh, with Cameron Chancy. There were three Camerons in the room. Didn't get confusing. And it was a lot of fun. <clears throat> yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, I think we would love to continue to keep doing interviews in the future. Um, it, like you said earlier, I probably would love to, love to do another one with Cameron at some point. So, As we alluded to in the interview, uh, some of our connections are all based around the 2013-14 teams. So maybe we'll just try to interview everybody on that team. <laughs> yeah, get everybody's perspective. We'll get Sheldon on here. See, oh, yeah. see if he remembers pancaking Cam. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that was a long interview, so we won't uh, we won't really try to add anything else in here. So, Kyle, go for that, it. I, I guess I'm up, huh? That's your cue. All <laughs> right, guys, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Mizzou Sports Pod. You can email us at Missouri Sports Mizzou Athletics dot com. <laughs> no. What is it? I don't remember. Missouri Sports Pod at gmail.com. That's it. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next week. Later this week, I guess, actually.